The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Gwen and Mercy Academy High School, the Sisters of Mercy, or any related affiliate. Welcome back to the Monarch Impact Podcast. My name is Angelina Splendido, and I'm a current senior at Gwinnett. And I'm Erin Remo-Clements, a member of the class of 2012 and the director of alumni engagement. Joining us today is Alicia Jones, a member of the class of 1987 at Gwinnett Mercy Academy. While at Gwinnett, she served as student council president and was involved with the track team. She received her undergraduate degree in biology at American University and continued her studies at Columbia University and University of Pittsburgh. She attended the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine and earned a fellowship in geriatric medicine, focusing on the disparities in healthcare in minority populations. She attended the Executive Leadership Program for Global Healthcare Leaders at Harvard University. Dr. Jones currently works as a Chief Medical Innovation Officer at Vitus Consulting Group in Washington, D.C. In her 15 years of experience in clinical and operational environments, she has served as a lean coach, focusing on cost-saving initiatives and trained multiple waves of green belts and champions. Now, she also serves on the Alumni Association Board and the Board of Trustees at Gwinnett. Welcome, Alicia. So, did any teachers or coaches leave a memorable impact on you? And do you have any fun anecdotes to share with us about them? One of the teachers, one of the coaches, in fact, that left a, a spectacular mark on me was Mr. Wilson. If you guys knew him, he was one of the track coaches. And I didn't think I was all that great in track. <laughs> and exactly, yes. He was one of the coaches who told me, if I don't try, I won't know. And that was really kind of huge for me because my brother was really good in track at the prep. And I was like, I was always like rooting for my brother. I'm like, come on, Steven, you can do it. And and I was like, oh, maybe I should try. And, he, and he, my brother and I are only like a year apart anyway. So Mr. Wilson was like, come on, you, what you're... I was doing basketball at at Gwinnett. I never tried track, but the basketball coach said you were always running. And also in field hockey, I was always running back and forth fast. Why don't I do track? And I was killing it. And <laughs> Mr. Wilson was like, you were doing it because you tried and you wanted to do it for the team. So he kind of like instilled in me this whole concept of if you don't try, you won't know. So he was like kind of spectacular for me. That's great. I It's always such a, it's so amazing to hear all of the alums. I personally was here when Mr. Wilson was here as a student, but mm. I do not run. <laughs> so <laughs> I was aware of him and he was always around, but yeah. just hearing the stories of all of the alums yeah, who have yeah. run for him especially, you know, since he just recently passed and, you know, just everybody just has been sharing such wonderful anecdotes. He really was a force yeah. in the community. And he was tough. And as much as, as much as his toughness was, he truly loved you on the team. And he, and he treated us all like family. Mm -hmm. And like on Saturdays, we were waking up for the track meets and he would pick all the girls up and take us to the, and to the track meets. It was amazing. I never felt like that before. And I'm like, okay, we can do this. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's value that you learned from him getting up and just trying new things. That's a great quality of a leader. 
And you were student council president when you attended Gwinnett. Yes. How has your leadership role shaped your perspective on leadership and how did it prepare you for college? I am kind of like an introvert by nature and people are kind of surprised by that in a leadership quality. But what I was able to do as student council president, I was able to listen and I learned how to listen better. And as an introvert, I was always listening from the back. But this way, I was listening and in a leadership role. So with that information, I was taking that information and then making decisions with the information. So I couldn't do, I couldn't take the information and not then take a stand or then make some type of, you know, leadership forward with it. I had to then make a decision with it. So Gwen had taught me how then to start making roles forward with the information. So regardless of the fact that I would rather be that introvert sitting in the house with popcorn and, you know, rolled up in a blanket, <laughs> I recognize that with the information that I was given and with the leadership role that I have, I have to then use that information and move forward. That's wonderful. And I'm sure that really helped you as you moved from a high school senior into your freshman year of college. Yeah. And you earned your undergraduate degree in biological sciences. What yeah. inspired you to follow this major? Biology was straight boring. <laughs> <laughs> it was straight boring. And I was like, what the heck? I know I'm interested in sciences, but really? Is this really what I wanted to do when I was going to D.C.? And I was coming out of this thing where maybe I wanted to do law. Maybe I wanted, because I was this big thing. I wanted to advocate for those who are underserved. And I was just coming, like you said, out of a role where I was a leader. And I was real comfortable in that behind the scenes role. And biology kind of put me in that behind the scenes role. But then I got into D.C., and then I started merging the sciences with leadership roles. It totally got interesting because I started noticing how sciences and politics kind of merge. And there was a lot going on that I didn't know within the political realm and how I needed to speak up more. And it didn't happen necessarily in the classroom, but on Capitol Hill or just in like little groups that I was in, like Black Student Alliance and stuff like that. It was fun. I enjoyed myself. I wouldn't have figured me doing that on the regular. That's cool that you got to take something that you learned, like listening, right? Listening yeah. to the needs of the people around you and understanding how that can fit into science and and then the needs of the community that you were in and start advocating for people. That's that's right. really yeah, because I, I wouldn't have thought I wouldn't have thought biology would have fit into that, but it actually did. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And you've been I mean, not only are you involved at Gwinnett, you are a member of the alumni board, board of trustees, and done so much for our school. But you also have been involved in other educational institutions like American University, Columbia University and Harvard University. How have these institutions aided you in your journey as a physician? And like, what are the values that you've gathered in your time in those situations? So 
when I came out at, at American in the beginning, as you're going through college, it's kind of like figuring out and navigating that pathway, trying to figure out where do I fit, what works for me and what doesn't. So try a whole lot of different things and learn as much as you can, because that's what college is. That's the wonderful part of college. When I came out, then I started noticing that it's like that enriching of the learn and the knowledge of science and where we can place it in people who don't have enough and don't have quality care delivery. That's what I wanted to do. So a significant proponent for advocating for people who don't have access to care delivery. So that's when I went out and went to places like Columbia to kind of like hone my resources. What do I need to get better in just things like care delivery? What do I need to be a better provider? What do I need to be in my data resourcing in knowing how do I collect the data? How do I deliver the data? Because I'm not just talking to providers. I'm going to be talking to people who are going to be statisticians or people who are business people because healthcare is about a business mm -hmm. and they want to make money. So I need to talk to all different types of people and I need to do it well. So when I went to Harvard, though, I dealt with global healthcare delivery and I dealt with people who were lawyers, who are statisticians, who are all over the world from, you know, all different continents. And how am I going to deliver care and how do they do it and do it well? Or how are they having gaps in their delivery and learning that process? That's what I've done. It's fantastic. Your love of learning has gotten you very far in your career and you are a certified LSS master black belt. Right. Can you provide a brief overview of what Lean Six Sigma is and what inspired you to achieve that title? Sure, sure. So Lean Six Sigma, what it does is it's like process, understanding the process delivery for, for things like how a hospital can work. Process delivery usually works in technology and data. Not a lot of people utilized it when it came to hospital care delivery. But what I saw was it, it's a, about information. Anytime you're communicating from person to person, you need communication because it's all about service delivery. Whether it is hospitality in a restaurant, hospitality in a hospital, hospitality in education. You have to have service delivery because you have a customer and you have a provider. So that's why I wanted to do Lean Six Sigma because I wanted to learn about process delivery and how to service people better. And that's kind of why I went through that whole delivery system. You're very involved in like the service aspects and yeah. you served as a lean coach at John Hopkins mm -hmm. Memorial Hospital. Can you expand on your specific role at the hospital and how exactly you focused on cost savings? Yeah. Yeah. So I went from I went from floor to floor at Hopkins and taught nurse practitioners, providers, and even the administrators how to provide better care delivery. So on on one floor, I dealt with care delivery. So how to service a patient better after they came out of surgery. 
and making sure they were listening to the patient. Because a lot of times, you know, a nurse can come in, are you okay? Are you in pain? Okay, I'm going to the next time. Listen to what the person is saying first before you go on to the next person. Yeah. Because a lot of times the hospital's getting ranked on what the patient is saying, that's hospitality. It's just like a restaurant. If they don't stop and listen and then deliver the service, then the hospital's getting ranked lower and the insurance is not going to pay effectively. So I was teaching and training the nurses how to listen to care and then deliver. And that's a process delivery model that was something that was being missed. So I was teaching that to the nurses on more of a grassroots. Then I was teaching it to the administrators on the business level in their cost delivery model. And I showed them in a model that was saving them millions of dollars. It's so interesting as you say that, you know, that listening, you know, comes back that skill yeah. of really hearing what the people around you need and that being an effective tool that not a lot of, you know, sometimes it's just, yeah. check the box. you know, are you, you know, how are you feeling? You know, you say, okay, but like, are you really listening to what they really need and like the it's nuance? A tool. But do you see how that from the very beginning of just being a student leader very, very early on when I would have rather been sitting in the back of the back, <laughs> all the way in the back, it, I was kind of forced forward to help and listen and given the tools then at Gwynedd to listen to what everybody around me was saying. And they were like, okay, Alicia, go tell, go tell sister Virginia what we need. That her right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. If you want me to tell sister Virginia, sister Christy, sister Mary Alice, what you want us to tell. Okay. I'll do it. But you have to listen. Yeah. Very cool. And as you said, I think it's also very important to get that leadership instilled really early and yeah. help the newer generations follow your footsteps. So you've also trained multiple waves of green belts and champions. Mm -hmm. How does this process work? And what are the main principles you emphasize during training? The main process is being patient, patient with yourself, because it can get frustrating because Sometimes it can be a longer process than you expect because a lot of times you want to get the information and then run with it. It's just being patient and recognizing that it's going to come and not all, everybody catches the wave of understanding the same way. And it's all about perspective. And also that everybody's approach to a certain experience is different and recognizing that. So if you're coming at something based on your experience, recognize that and respect that. And then with that information, you're coming at the information, they're coming at the information, and then you both can come at it together. And then the approach is can be then collaborative and, and then you guys are going to learn together. So it can, it can kind of be like a collaboration of all everybody's information together. So it's kind of like be patient with the approach together. That's great. And, you know, not only do you help other people grow in their career, but as you grow mm -hmm. in your career, you know, what are your goals that you have set for yourself for the future? And, you know, what do you want to do to, to reach them? One of the things that I've done, and Erin, I think I told you about Last March, I went to India mm -hmm. where I did the a medical mission in India 
that was spectacular. We went to even a what, what used to be a leper colony and we treated like almost a thousand different people who would not have been served otherwise because they have been sick. But, you know, leprosy has kind of been treated. It's it's a treatable disease now, but they still have the effects of, you know, not being limping and, you know, have different ailments and things like that, but it's not contagious. But I want to do more of those medical missions. I find that just so enlightening because, you know, we're walking around talking about, oh, we got bad taxes. I mean, these people, you know, they're blind. <laughs> And they're like, oh, doc, if you can just help me out and just help me out and like figure out why this is coming off of me. And I'm like, oh, sure, no problem. <laughs> Let me just lance that off and we're good. It just gives you a different perspective on life. That's fantastic. And being able to travel and see other parts of the world with people with totally different circumstances than we have. Yeah, it does give you that perspective and also is incredibly fulfilling and and wonderful work very very merciful of you yeah it's exactly <laughs> exactly and that's kind of where i learned it from that whole mercy concept that's where we've learned it from the beginning absolutely i love that and so far you know you've done so many i think so many amazing things in your career what has been your proudest project or accomplishment that you that you've worked on i think my proudest accomplishment is the raising of all boys. <laughs> That's a lot. You have no instructions. And my mom told me that too. <laughs> Remind me, do you have four boys? Well, right. Well, I have two and my husband has five. So we have a blended oh, family yes. of seven boys. I knew you had a lot. <laughs> so, and it's so funny though, because I, it's like everybody comes with their own, you know, personalities and things like that. And it's so much fun because now everybody's grown like 18 and above. Mm -hmm. So I have this time, which we call um, wine in the woods. And we sit around like an open pit and burn wood and things like that. And I sit down and I ask them, so how are you guys doing? So one of them's in San Francisco, one of them's in Malibu. And they've gone all, they're all right now doing their careers in school and things like that. And I want to know where they are and what place they are in their lives and making sure everyone's good. Two of them are, are about to get married. Um, and they're all doing good in different places. And I'm like, we just want to make sure that they're settled and they're good and they're managing and finding that right place where they're they're doing what they want to do, you know, research, pharmacy and data. And one of them is at the CIA. And it's like all these different places. And it's like, it's amazing. Yeah, that's a whole lot of boys in one. one I'm really, <laughs> I have no idea. So good, good on you. Cause I don't, I don't know how many people could handle that, but that's fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. And going back to what you said a little bit earlier, talked about advocacy, which I think is yeah. a very important value to have. February is Black History Month. Yeah. How have you advocated for racial minority communities, especially in the medical field? And yeah. what setbacks have you faced in doing so? You know, they call D.C. like Chocolate City. But I can tell you, since I've been here, and I've been here like about 11 years, every single time I walk into a boardroom, I'm one of few black women that is there. And 
they wonder why I'm there. So I usually have to introduce myself. One of the first things I do is, is listen to the room and listen to the feel. But I can tell you, I always come with a point of I am representing and I recognize I'm representing a load of people, the many who have gotten me into this room. And there have been not, and I can say millions of people who have knocked down doors to not only get me into a medical career, but also get me into an administrative environment where many have not been. And, and I recognize that. And, and that's why it's like just recently, and I even took many of the boys to see the Barbie movie too, because <laughs> I want them to understand that it's not just a woman thing also, but then a minority and a black woman thing that to get where we are, we have to work twice as hard and do twice as much just to advocate and to be heard and valued. And it's unfortunate, but it's true. Yes, I feel like the community as a whole of the minorities, I feel like everyone faces setbacks or challenges in some ways or another. Have you, as an African-American woman, faced any challenges in your education or working in the field? Have you encountered any bias or stereotypes? Oh, yeah. Oh, all the time. All the time. I, I can tell you a lot of times I would walk into the room and the patients would ask me, so when is the doctor coming in? And those were patients that I would just... I would be coming in to see, and I'd be like, well, I am the doctor. I'm here. I mean, even though to this day, I've been written off, I've provided documentation for research that they've taken the article, they've taken the information, and I've been written off of research documents. And that's even in my current state that I'm at right now. So we have to constantly advocate for ourselves and fight to be heard and seen because it's not going to stop. As much as I want to sit back and be quiet and be that listener who is just listening to the tone of the audience and how people are, we have to speak up and we have to continually let people know that we're here. Absolutely. And I think so much of history has been rewritten or changed or altered in some ways and you know how do you believe you know kind of the the celebration of black history can really move us towards building a more inclusive and equitable society I think as long as we don't forget the more we keep on reliving and going through the history as it truly is Mm -hmm. I think we can celebrate it because the celebration of Black history, and it's really not just Black history, it is all of our history. That historical reference points of the civil rights history, of the history that existed in Tulsa, I know that's something, it's more of the history that existed. I know that's one of the areas that I'm I'm bringing up more for the boys, because I want them that framework of wealth and regaining the wealth that existed so much within the African-American network, reliving that and cycling that back into the framework of what truly existed, we lose those frameworks of information. I think that gets lost. 
I think that's why it's so important, even if not for a month, continually reliving that history and continually going back and honing that back into a framework of reference. Yeah. And I think, yeah, not ever just limiting it to one no. month. No. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's always a great reminder, but that doesn't mean that it should just be, you know, relegated to February. One month. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, how would you like to see allies of the Black community actively support and amplify Black voices? Is there anybody, you know, you want to shout out as somebody that particularly fantastic to read about or to learn about? What ways would you like those voices heard? Right. There's a lot of different movements that are going on right now, I feel. Actively, though, I know there are diversity equity movements. There is a mental health movement that's going on that is clarifying and identifying the mental health and um, diversity. NAMI is another or organization that is exi- that exists to identify what is kind of pushed down about mental health in African-Americans and those in black and brown communities that sometimes don't get pulled out. I know that's something that in the pilot that I'm working in that we're trying to pull out more and identify more and and hopefully clarify within minority communities that it's okay to say and to call out when they're not okay. So that's something that I have been working a lot. There's been the Black Physicians Network that I've been working with a lot, and we've been working a lot in this area and other areas that collectively, collaboratively, American Medical Association, we've been working together to bridge the gap between physicians um, working and get, getting clarity of access to care and making sure there's not a difference of quality of care to people of color and an underserved communities. You seem very passionate about your advocacy and leadership and everything you have done and achieved in life so far. So would you say that there is a specific quote or mantra that has guided you through life? There was one that, in fact, it's something that Sister Christy helped me with when I was in high school. Henry David Thoreau said, we build our castles in the air and it's okay. Now we build our foundations under them. It's for those of us who are dreamers. It's okay to be a dreamer. And it was. it's for those of us who sit back and dream that there are better ways to do things. We don't always have to do it the standard run-of-the-mill grind. We can dream for a better place and a better way and everybody getting along and everybody working together and loving each other. We just have to build the foundation under it. We just have to work to build that foundation to make everybody collaborate. We're not really make people collaborate, but build the foundation that allows people to do that. That's a wonderful quote. I really like that. So what would you say to Gwyneth students who have that dream of the medical field and how would you help them to build their foundation underneath that? For those who are interested, I would say don't give up. Medicine is a field of tenacity. So I always tell people, please don't think it is for those who are the brilliant and the bright. It's not. It's for those who who learn how to 
fail and always get up. That's what medicine is. Medicine is those who choose a path and continue on it. It can be a path that is delivered because they saw, you know, something happen that changed their life. But medicine is about tenacity. Medicine is about refusing to give up. And that's, and it it won't, and not allowing it to break you. It's just tenacity. And I think that's the one thing that people don't understand about medicine. It's not about brilliance. <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand that. I think that's a great point. Cause I mean, we have so many amazing, you know, medical advances that we've made, but like for every medical advance, there's a million fail failures. And like, you wouldn't, if everybody was just who was a doctor or in in medicine was just naturally brilliant, yes, you couldn't make any any uh, yeah. Wait, it's about the try. It's always about the try, and you've got to get out there and try it. And that's what I constantly say: if you're willing to try, then you can do it. But you've got to try hard. And not just like a little hard, because it it'll wear you out. And I and but just like anything else, because you're gonna try at something, just try at something that you're passionate about. That's great advice. Well, those are all of the questions we have for you. I feel inspired yeah. leaving this um <laughs> interview. So thank you for sharing oh, absolutely your journey and how Gwyneth has has helped you on your way and all the amazing support you're doing for different communities. So we really appreciate it.